You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McCuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedians Comedian Podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith, and today I'm bringing you. A, a, I'm sorry about this. There were some sound issues with it that we took a long time to clear up. I, it wasn't my highest priority, and I apologise to Andrew and to you. But this was recorded uh, live at the Leamington Spa Comedy Festival last year in. I'm going to say October, so it has been a while. Um, this is a fascinating interview with a very unusual man and a very unusual comedian, the brilliant Andrew O'Neill. For people listening at home, or maybe there are people here who don't know what it is that you do or what you look like, you have, uh, you have several looks. Yeah. And you're in a more boy one tonight. Yeah. So, but, yes, technically not, but yes. Yeah. I know it's a minefield. Well, let's imagine, I always like to imagine that a listener in a country that you've never visited, who's never seen you before, just yeah. describe what you look like, what you do, what your, what your act is. I'm currently looking like uh, a metalhead. I've got a band shirt, skinny jeans, bullet belt, uh, shiny DMs, and I've got long hair and tattoos. I was about to name, number them and I can't remember how many I've got now. No, it's, they're I, merging into one. The one that I always remember is you have a tattoo of the seal of Rassilon. I do, yeah. So if anyone who, out there knows what that means, it's like a shibboleth, isn't it? If That's you know perfect. what that is... Yeah. It's that. <laughs> so, uh, okay, and, and what's what's the meat of your act? What sort of comedy do you do? Um, I, I think the one word I would go for would be silly. Okay. Um, that's pretty much my my target above all. But I, when I was growing up and was a massive comedy nerd, um, and I I had really Catholic taste in comedy. I like pretty much like anything that was comedy. So whether that was um, Smith and Jones or um, Monty Python or Blackadder pretty much anything that was comedy Bobby Davro you know um, any, anything like that any, all, the, all the really crap ITV stuff you know I just I hoovered it all up and then when then I wanted to be like a sketch comic because I was obsessed with Python um, and then I saw Eddie Izzard doing sketch comedy in the form of stand-up. I went, oh, I can be a stand-up. There were other parallels with Izzard as well, but sure. I thought then I want. But then I couldn't decide whether I wanted to be more like him or Harry Hill or Bill Bailey or Bill Hicks. And so I decided I would basically not f- focus on a style, but do write each joke on its individual merits and okay. then just run them all together. Okay. So, so uh, initially it was really clear when I was doing it, <laughs> an Eddie Izzard bit or a Harry Hill bit or a Bill Bailey bit or a Monty Python bit. And hopefully now I've, I've mixed that up enough 
that it's... You've disguised it I've as dis- your I've, own I've, creation. I've slightly <laughs> disguised it as my own creation. Um, so in terms of... So that's why the... the, com- the yeah, what style I do, I do songs and I do little... Illustrate little sketches and I, I do... Um, some sort of political stuff, more personally political now. But then it's the idea is I run it all together, and when I'm ordering my set, they all have to be sort of uh, riffle shuffled together mm-hmm. in order that if I'm doing too much silly stuff and then too much straight stuff, it feels weird. Okay, so you like to have a big mix of different styles within an hour? Yeah, and it sort of it it began consciously, and now it's completely just how I write comedy anyway. So. Okay. I just really, I just like, I basically anything I can think of that's genuinely funny will go in, and I just have to find a place for it. Okay. And your, uh, the show I was listening to uh, on the way up, which is available on YouTube, is called Occult Comedian. Yeah. And uh, I don't, I never know where the stress goes in that word. Is it occult or occult? Um, I usually go for occult because it was, the idea was it was a pun on cult comedian. Lovely. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it, with, with, with magic stuff, basically there are a load of people that tell you you're pronouncing it wrong and they're idiots because there's no right way to pronounce <laughs> yeah, it anyway. Okay. So. Like Latin. Yeah, yeah okay. absolutely <laughs> like Latin, yeah. Okay. So you're, just to, to sort of complete, the picture, the uh, the like you've done a show called Heavy Metal, uh, comed- a history of heavy metal. Yeah, you've done occult comedian. Yeah, you look like a kind of you've got a huge tattoo of a. I'm assuming it's a kraken. Uh, on- yeah, it's Cthulhu. Oh, it's Cthulhu. Okay, yeah. so he, he, not a kraken. No, but sort of a bit crackish. Yeah, it's Krakenish. It's definitely this Krakenesque. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, and and in your show, in the occult comedian show, and we'll, we'll start with that one because it's, yeah, it's sure. fresh in my mind. Um, but you you talk about the fact that you practice magic yeah. rituals, yeah. and you have a lovely uh, moment when you talk about how you regard uh, jokes as spells Absolutely. that are like a ritual. Well, you explain it. Yeah, a, a joke is a spell to make people laugh. A joke is the single best example of magic. It's you, you, you write the, the right words, put them in the right order, you say them with the right tone of voice, with, with the correct con- conviction, in a situation that you have con- concocted to be as perfect as possible. So you've got lights on you, there's often music involved, everyone's sitting together like in a church or like in a ritual, and you say these jokes, and if they believe in you, the joke will work and it will make them, it will cause a physical reaction in the real world you're turning magic into you're turning magic is essentially pretty much turning turning your will into something in the real world and it's the, okay. it's the line between kind of thought and language and and the physical world i mean i'm loving that this is getting very esoteric very early on but that's, but that's fine but that's i mean comedy is comedy is magic and and pretty much magic is comedy uh, the way the way you, you sit and, and you know literally write a, a spell the, sure. the words if you get it wrong the spell won't work. So, from the point of view of someone listening to this who is, uh, say... Rational. Rational. (laughs) (laughs) What I want to do is sort of unpick um, which elements of this are metaphor and which of them do you actually mean as. When you say in your show, I practice magic, (laughs) from your description in the show before, it sounds like what you call magic, other people might call visualisation or NLP or something like that. What are the differences between those two things and what you mean as magic? Um, magic has more in the way of um, suspension of disbelief and more in the way of symbolism, I suppose. And NLP is is um, is kind of comes from a lot of magical practices. This I is mean, neuro linguistic programming for the, anyone that's not the, really the, the point. The point at which my my belief in magic uh, uh, escapes most 
sceptical people's uh, grasp is I genuinely believe that in using magic you can tweak the probability of certain things happening. The, the, I'm, I'm not sure what the mechanism of that is, but having done magic and having seen the results to the degree that it takes the piss... Um, can you give us an example? Yeah. Uh, the best... By far the, the single... I'll give you two examples. The best example was um, I did a, a ritual, a day-long exercise um, to look for something... Uh, look for it, Look at the whole world as though the universe was desperately trying to tell you something. This is an exercise in expanding your magical consciousness. Um, and I did it first in my house. And the first time you do it, you're supposed to do it alone. And you look around you, and so you look at the pattern in the, you know, in, in the, uh, the window opposite you, um, the number of bricks in a chimney, you know, stuff like that. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean that there is magical meaning everywhere, but it also does because you, you put that meaning in. So you're looking at something and you, you, you inhabit it with your own consciousness and you, and you make the magic happen in it. I did it at home, got nothing, was expecting results, didn't get results. I then, you're supposed to, what you're then supposed to do is go on a long, aimless journey. Instead of doing that, I went and did a gig. Um, and, uh, I was there with my, my wife and my sister-in-law, did the gig, not a huge amount happened at the gig. On the way home, I was telling them that I had done this exercise and not, hadn't really seen anything. There was loads of stuff I started noticing, like the number of magical words that are around everywhere, which doesn't mean that magic is real. It just means that magic has had an influence. So today's Friday, that's Frigg's Day, that's named after a Norse goddess. You know, the, the, the days of the week are, are magical. You know, an awful lot of our language is, is influenced by magic. And esoteric stuff. So I noticed all this stuff didn't really mean anything. I then got on a night bus, the N29 night bus. I sat next to uh, a sort of massive West African guy who was staring intently out the window. And he turned around to me and said, do you believe in God? And I said, like, what? No. He goes, okay. And he looked out the window. I thought, oh, he's a, he's a God botherer and I've, I've offended him. And he goes, you don't believe in God? I said, no, sorry. He said, um, what do you believe in? And I said, well, you know, I believe that blah, 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 certain things, blah, 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 wishy-washy, blah, 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 you know. And, uh, and then he said, my name is Omen. Now, that's taking the piss already. If I'd made this story, if you'd put that story in a sitcom, people are going to go, well, yeah, all right. Right, literally the day that you start doing this exercise, Look, you meet a huge... A guy called Omen. Guy He's, called uh, Omen. That's not a sign. Okay, right. And, and, and my brain is like, rationalise, rationalise, this coincidence is fine. And then he said, um, my name is Omen, six, six, you know, 666. Six. Why did my mother give me this name? And I said, oh, I don't know. And he said, uh, I said, but it could be a good thing. You know, Omen just means a sign. Oh, and that's when I made the connection. Because uh, before then, I was just thinking nutter on night bus. So you, but you, what you're saying is you try, as a, as a magical experiment, you basically ask the universe for a sign. Yeah. And then hours later, someone walked up to you and said, my name is Omen. Yeah. Okay. And then tried to hand me a Celtic cross that had 666 in the knotwork and said, this is for me, you have this. What he also said was, you know when you're in the park and you tell a woman your name is Omen? Um, like, yeah, oh, t- tell me I mean, me this about happened it. in London. This happened... This there ha- are, there's quite a lot of lunatics in London. For there? sure. And on night buses, one oh, yeah. might surmise that's a more likely place to find... Absolutely. So, but you didn't believe it to be coincidence? I just... It, start, it starts to stretch my notion of what 
what a coincidence is and what, what um, you know, something a, a little bit more significant is. Also, bear in mind, there were two witnesses to this story as well, my wife and her sister. They saw the whole thing. Sure, no, I believe uh, that. I, I, I can say that. Yeah, yeah, that, but I, that is also something that, you know, is worth adding to the story. And, and to this day, I don't put a huge amount of significance on that single event. I'm just like, that was, that was cool, that was weird. You start to talk to people who, who take magic seriously and they go, yeah, exactly that sort of thing happens when anyone starts to take magic seriously. Um, Is that not in the same way that... And I, I, I don't know if I want to get into this bit yet, but let's do it. Go on, let's, let's stay yeah. with it. Is that not in the same way that, say... And I know you're, you're quite irreligious, you're yeah. anti-Christian in that... Yeah. In that um, uh, in that uh, show that you did in Occult Comedian, you yeah, refer yeah. to Christians as retarded. Yeah. And, you know, you're very sort of staunchly anti-Christian or mm. anti-religion. Um, do you not think that people who are Christian might have had similar sorts of experiences where yeah, no they decided whether or not to believe something was a coincidence or something was a, a test of faith or whatever? Yeah. So what's the difference between your experience because and mine, theirs? Because mine isn't a faith. This is my, basically what I have is a, a collection of experiences that I now put down to. Now I, I reckon that there's, 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 a, a, you, there's an ability to tweak the possibility of certain things happening. But isn't or, your, or the even, fact that you're using the word reckon there, isn't that like interchangeable with I, I believe that? No, because religion, religion, religion is faith first and then you, and then you put everything together. I, this, all, all this stuff changed my mind. And I still now, when I hear 99.9% of anyone telling me I did magic and this happened, I went, yeah, that's not really, that's okay. not really how that works. Also, I, in, in the year I did a cult comedian in Edinburgh, me and my friend Al um, did a show called uh, Andrew O'Neill's Probably Massively Inadvisable Occult Experiments, um, in which we got a group of people to do almost exactly the same thing I did, but we did a load of ritual stuff in it. And people told us, and we said, just go away, go into the world, and within 24 hours, something will happen, tell us what happened. And some of it was really, really cool, like the, a guy uh, who'd lost all his money and was massively hungry, couldn't afford food. Uh, someone had put a lunchbox full of food on his doorstep that he found on his way home. Someone else told me that they couldn't find their charger and then they found their charger. And, <laughs> you know, so going, and there was a plug socket on the train and I've never seen those before. Yeah, that's not really... You know, so, so what, basically what I'm saying is, right, there's a, there's a kind of... There's a, it's, I'm not saying that this thing that happened with Omen proves that magic works. I'm saying that I've done, like, every time I've done magic, I think except one time, I've got a result that I can put down as a positive. And I don't, it, I don't feel the need for anyone else to believe that. I don't know to what degree I believe it. That's, that's another important thing. I just kind of go, cool, magic seems to work. What I mainly use magic now for is writing and exploring my own headspace. Rather than doing stuff in... There's something a bit kind of, I don't know, gauche about, about doing stuff in the real world. Oh, well, I was going to say, I mean, this does sort of beg the next kind of blunt question. If you've got magic powers, why aren't you rich and or famous? Because everyone's got magic powers. But you are, but not everyone performs magic rituals. I mean, I am rich, and I am relatively famous. So, I mean, in the in the grand scheme of things, I am rich. In the grand scheme of things, I am wealthy, um, and and an awful lot of my ability to to produce wealth, i.e., earn money, comes from my magical practice. But lots of you say everyone has magic powers, but a, a yeah, very I, small number of people actually perform magic rituals. So, yeah. isn't that the same as? I mean, isn't that the same as sort of if everyone could do it, then what does it, what does it mean? Yeah, but everyone can do it. And, and what, it, what it means, and a lot of people are doing it. So people say, for example, you know, why don't you, uh, why don't you uh, do magic to win the lottery? Okay, 
Everyone else is doing that as well. Trust me. So, so oh, if, if you, a, I see what you mean. They so might not be. Fa- they might not be lighting candles and and turning yeah. in circles, but they might be really wishing to win the lottery, yeah. and that amounts to the same thing. Is yeah. what you mean? So, is all kind of interfering with each other, sort of hoping for something. Yeah. Okay. And I don't. And I don't. I don't give it any more weight than that. It's just. Okay. It's just hoping for something in a really specific, focused way. Is this like uh, what is Noel Edmonds? Does he write little things on his? Oh, was that universal on his hands? cosmic yeah, ordering? Cosmic ordering. But. You know, there's, there's, and again, I don't, I don't think there's anything supernatural or unscientifically provable or investigatable about this stuff. You know, you know this. The most positive people in the world seem to have better lives than people who are really Definitely, negative. Definitely, absolutely. And yeah. and if all magic is is a way of turning yourself into a sort of optimistic person, then fine. That's the way it works. So is, that's is the mechanism it, through which it works. Is it basically then sort of sexy religion? Yeah. Is well, no, is no, like, no, 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 because it's, it's not, not like, it's not it's like being a Christian, it's not, but kind of cool and it's you get It's not religion black. because it's not a set of beliefs. Um, there's no, some there's people's no religion simply a set of beliefs? No, I'm saying that, yeah, that's, they are, but religion is, what, I mean, religion comes from the same root as the word ligature, it means to bind together in one belief. Mm-hmm. That's what religion means. And that's, and that's, that's, these things are true. If you believe them, you are of that religion. If you don't believe them, you are not of that religion. That's what religion is. Whereas with magic, I've yet to meet someone who practices ritual magic that I agree with. To the degree that my mate Al, who I did that Edinburgh show with, and I stopped doing magic together because he believes that the gods are real outside of human experience. And I believe that when humans die, all the gods die. So, you know, it's, 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 it's not a religion because it's not a, it's not a set of beliefs, and it doesn't require certainly that what I've got in my head doesn't require any faith. I just I just the, the, it's like I did I've done loads of rituals, and every time I've done it, I've I've brought about well the the thing I've wanted to make happen has happened. Now and and you know Crowley will, will uh, if you read Crowley he says you can't do stuff that's physically impossible. You can't cause an eclipse if an eclipse isn't going to happen. It's about there's, I think there's a kind of malleable edge to the universe that you can you can turn around. And things like NLP will, may well have exactly the same result. Cosmic ordering may well have the same result. But you know it's it's interesting that because you know, why aren't I why aren't I rich and famous? Well, I. Reli- I am relatively famous. I keep getting people coming up to me going, are you famous? Which is really <laughs> weird. That's happened several times over the last six That's months. Are you famous? Obviously why, why not. Why am I asking this question? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, um, and, and, you know, and in terms of money, like, I'm, you know, I've got quite a lot of debt, but also by the same token, I've, I've in world terms, I'm, I'm sure. very rich. As, sure. as, of course, we all are, but I'm doing sort of fine. And, and career-wise, in terms of my life, I, I'm fantastically lucky so here's andrew ladies and gentlemen you don't get many say i mean is he a satan botherer is that a thing <laughs> you don't get many satan bothering transvestite uh doctor who fan type comedians uh not 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 least practitioners of magic no doubt um i, I mean i i really appreciate uh, Andrew having this conversation with me. He's uh, he's someone I've known for a long time. I've really enjoyed gigging with Andrew. We were slightly confined by the live format. Now, I know some of you email me and, and say you prefer the non-live ones because we get into... Sometimes we get into more depth. Sometimes we can talk longer and choose different bits. Um, and, and I know sometimes the, the, the pure hour 
format can prevent that. But I think at the same time, there is, there's really something to be said for doing it live because it does give it a, yeah, a bit of a sense of joie de vivre and of fun. And uh, maybe those can be more fun episodes as well. But I, I think we got some great stuff out of Andrew here. So thank you very much to him for coming along. Um, thank you to Mark Makin uh, for having us at the Leamington Spa Comedy Festival. As you know, I myself am from Leamington Spa. In, uh, I mean, I'm, I was born in Bristol, but I grew up in Leamington Spa. And that's the, that's the, that's the, the train platform sign that most makes me feel comfortable <laughs> when, when I roll into it on a train. Um, so thanks for, thanks to everyone that listened there. Thanks to everyone that, uh, that came along. All of you. Um, and yes, please. Thank you. Thank you again. I mean, these, these, these middle bits are primarily just thanks for the donations, but they are really, very much appreciated. So please keep sending those in. Comedianscomedian.com. Simply click on the PayPal button on that website. Or you can... Uh, yeah, I've, I have forgotten in recent episodes to mention Patreon. But at patreon.com slash comcompod, uh, if you are a user of the Patreon website, you can also pledge a small amount of money per show um, that presumably a couple of people have now signed up to. No, I mean, a couple of people have signed up to. Presumably, money has been changing hands. Maybe I've got to get in touch with those people and find out uh, how that works. But um, if you want to do the more traditional route, PayPal, or just see me in the street or at a festival and stick a fiver in my back pocket. Um, coming up very soon now, the 22nd, of course, is the episode with Brendan Burns. Uh, that's going to be a live episode at 2.15 at the Light Box at Dave's Leicester Comedy Festival. Um, Brendan Burns is right of, right of reply. He's going to be the, the second act to return to the podcast. And um, we're looking forward to that. So please grab a ticket for that. Google up how to achieve that. Uh, it's pay what you want, as ever. So you can take a risk and turn up free or secure a ticket for £5 in advance. And that is all for now. Let's get back to the very, very funny, very fascinating Andrew O'Neill. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. <laughs> Let's talk about your uh, about your career. Let's talk about comedy. Where are you in comedy at the moment? What, what's what's going on for you at the moment? Uh, I've uh, I'm currently writing a Radio Four show. Um, I've got a two part Radio Four show commissioned, um, which is about gender and uh, sexuality, um, and um, and I'm developing a TV show with uh, in house with the BBC, 
um, and I, you know, make a living doing tours, and I'm touring my history of heavy metal at the moment, um, and I, yeah, do do club gigs, and I sort of, I, I've, I've, I always feel like I've got a foot in both camps, the kind of the kind of club comic camp and the sort of, you know, Edinburgh sort of art centre sort of camp, and, I've, and I'm very happy being both because I want to be, re- I want to be a really reliable comic as well as being odd, yeah, interesting, <laughs> okay. you know. So let's let's talk about how you started comedy. Then, how did you bring yourself to comedy? So you 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 described before being a huge fan, hoovering up all these sort of influences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What were the circumstances that led to your first gig? I um, went to a lot of comedy with my um, ex, and uh, do you remember Ivan's comedy gaff? Yes, I do. On uh, Rathbone Place, yeah, we, used I do. Go, we used to go there a lot. <laughs> and I remember, t- I remember saying to people at the time, "It's brilliant! Like the, the, the comedians outnumber the audience. It's great." <laughs> and now that's like you know, that's that's, that's it's nightmare fuel. But um, yeah, it was, uh, and it was a great. I saw people like Paul Foot, who I just immediately thought was an utter genius, and um, saw Eddie Izzard live, saw Bill Bailey live, and and I think at that point I'd already been saying for like two years, maybe three years, I want to do comedy. Were you, started, were you a funny kid at that point? Were you, were yeah, you a funny... I, was, I was... It was the single most important thing. I, I didn't really care if people liked me or not as long as they thought I was funny. Okay. And in social situations, I'm sure I was just, you know, intolerable. Just in any, in any social situation, it would be my... I would just have to try and make everyone what, laugh. What was your school life like? What sort of school did you go to? And were you, were you dressed in black at the time? Were you like a young goth? Well, I was a... a, I was a, I was a, a probably been a metalhead since I was about 14. I was very lucky. I went to, I went to a boys' school, um, a, a grammar school, which is sort of like, you know, it's a state school, but they, you have to pass the 11 plus. And I had a, a really tight group of mates who I'm still friends with. Um, John, Charlie, Dave and, and Martin were the, the main four guys. And we were constantly trying to make each other laugh. And around the age of 15, 16, I started using my brother's camcorder to make um, uh, films and sketches and stuff. I film my mate Martin on the toilet just holding things up and then editing it. So we'd just go, sprockets and melon. And, you know, we found that hilarious. And um, it's the sort of thing that people do. I think now it's kind of YouTube would would do it, but we were... Pre-YouTube. Yeah, very much pre-YouTube. And I've still got the the videos and no one's ever seen them. Um, So, yeah, so lots of of stupid sketches and stuff. And then I I went to university because I, I, um, I did film studies at uni because I thought I wanted to be a filmmaker. And then it became obvious that it wasn't the f- filmmaking part of that that was, I was invested in, it was the comedy part. So, But yeah, we, we... I mean, Seinfeld was, isn't he? Everyone's funny when they're a teenager. And it's true, but that's because people play more when they're, a teen, when they're teenagers. You see teenagers dicking about on buses and stuff in a way that adults don't. But we do, but we do it in comedy clubs and, you know. So yeah, so, so I, I, yeah I, I, I have always considered myself really funny. And then, and then I started doing comedy and realised it wasn't as funny as I thought. <laughs> and then, was that painful? How was that to sort of... Well, my first... When, when kid, you say that as, as a kid, it was more important to you to be funny <laughs> than to be liked. Yeah. So who is, who is that kid? Why was it that you needed the laughs? And how did that feel like when you started and didn't get them? I don't know. I just guess it was the thing I liked about myself was my ability to make people laugh. And yeah, early on in stand-up, my first gig was really... So my first gig was... Um, uh, I booked in downstairs at the... I asked Ivan, uh, how'd you get into this? And he said, do downstairs at the King's Head on a Thursday. So I booked that, and then I got impatient, and I dropped in at a Laughing Horse gig in Camden uh, and said, can I get on tonight? And they said, oh, it's a competition. 
Um, and I remember Alex Musson was on, Nina Conti was on, I can't remember who else. And they said, it's a competition, but you don't have to do the competition, we'll just stick you on. And I, did, I had about five minutes of material, and it, um, I did it in about three minutes. And I got laughs, and it was a, it was a really enjoyable and experience. And this is when you say people like Nina Conti, these are your contemporaries, they were also competing yeah, like at my peer an groups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. level. Okay. And um, it was January the 16th, 2002. Um, and and I, I, I got laughs, and I got a round of applause, and I went away going, I can do this. And yeah. also, having been in bands for a long time at this point, I've been in uh, hardcore punk bands, um, and I'm, you know, I've... I've, I've been a musician for a long time and I have to work much harder at music than I do at comedy to get to a, to get to like a kind of average level I suppose um, and I did the first that first gig and just went right yeah this is it and it was it just really obvious that this is a thing I should do um, and then my second gig because I didn't do any work I'm like yeah I can do this and then my second gig at the King's Head I think Head. that's a fairly common uh, second pitfall. gig was dreadful and also my second gig I had a joke saying um, the reason that un- unemployment is so high within the zebra community is that they can't get jobs in supermarkets because they keep scanning themselves and um, in the at the second gig I, I ever did I was on second it was King's Head and the guy on first went um, if they sold zebras in supermarkets you wouldn't need to put a barcode on them Yeah, and I thought he couldn't possibly have seen me do that joke and then do it then, which has actually given me the lesson ever since then of actually people usually aren't ripping you off on purpose. It is usually a coincidence. But yeah, and then I, so I went, oh, right, I've got to drop that joke. And then I kind of panicked, and then I went on and died on my ass. But I had a few booked in then, and, and I kept going, and then I think the next one was quite good, and then the next one was terrible. And I spent about two or three years working out how to do comedy the way I want to do it and be kind of reliable at it okay it took me a long time were there are there in uh, what's what's different about your your style now compared to what it was then is it just you're saying that the the influences are less apparent yeah it's definitely more it's definitely more me now Um, do you you have any gags now that you've held on to for years have you got any old favorites that you that that were good enough then that have stayed with you I've got I've got I've got a little bag of bankers that I keep on my on my belt and um, probably the oldest, probably the oldest joke I still do would be uh, just stuff about getting shouted at. Because I used to have yeah. bright red hair, and I had material about that. And and you know, I've I've often encountered uh, um, aggression on the street for my appearance. Less as I get older, I found, but um, or or possibly just doing this better. <laughs> That's another element to it. But yeah, um, so probably the uh, "Oi, mate, you look like a fucking woman." Um, and then me replying, fuck me, your mum must be ugly. That's, um, I remember when I came up with that, and I'm like, oh, that's, this is good, because that means that when, they think, when they're sat there thinking I look weird, I can acknowledge that I know I do. Yes. Which is, which is such 101, but I never did a comedy course and wasn't taught the formula. <laughs> you know? Uh, I know, I, I used to do a joke of, I know what you're thinking, I know what you're thinking, Richard O'Brien's let himself go, and um, <laughs> the joke being, I look nothing like Richard O'Brien, but unfortunately the, the audience don't, know that that's a joke that I'm subverting. That is one of, I think that is one of the chief things that I get frustrated watching Open Spots do. I, and I've seen newer comics preface a joke about what they look like, like a takeoff of the concept of a joke about what they look like, <laughs> by explaining <laughs> what a lot of comics do oh, is amazing. they come on and they do a joke about who they look like. Wow. Right, everyone got that? This is my joke about how I look like I was, and how it's different to I was that. thinking the other day about how much, of, how much information have I, have I gleaned only from hearing it within stand-up. Because I was, I've got a joke at the moment about um, when Jeremy Beadle 
Um, Jeremy Beadle's tiny little hand makes it feel like he's getting a hand job from someone far away. And, um, <laughs> and it's, it's in a list of facts. Um, and it's sort of incidental and it doesn't really matter how well it goes because it's in a, it's in a list of a load of things. But there's a load of, there's a, I don't think I've ever heard of that. The concept of using your left hand to have a wank so it feels like someone else is doing it or sitting on your hand till it goes numb. I'm, I'm not sure I've ever heard a reference to that outside of stand up comedy. That's a really interesting but point. But I've been yeah. doing stand up for 12 years, 12 and a half years and I've been obsessed with stand-up for about 20 years so a huge amount of my information comes Absolutely. from, from I, I comedy. Absolutely, I think a lot of my uh, my political attitudes come from watching alternative comedians in yeah. the 80s. Yeah, yeah. There are certain kind of core values I won't ever be able to let go of in the same way that I could never wear flares Right, yes, I grew for up sure. in the 80s yeah, yeah, similarly absolutely. I could never vote Tory because I grew up in the 80s yeah. and I, you know, that, that's my kind of political consciousness was programmed there largely by what I was hearing in comedy clubs. So that's, well, if, let's take that as an example then. If you are taking in a lot of information from comedians, yeah. what does it mean to you to be alternative? If you're, if you're an alternative comedian, what does, that, what does that mean to you? When you exist as a comedy fan yeah, yeah. inside a world where being a comedian isn't, isn't an alternative, it's a, it's a base level. It's... it's- for me, it's just it's just it's just the label for the sort of comedy I like, and it's and it's always the other way around. It's always I'm, I don't I don't give a shit if what I do is alternative or not, as long as I'm doing the sort of comedy I would want to watch as an audience member. That's that's one hundred percent my goal. I want I want to be what would be my favourite comedian, um, and that entirely comes from from my sort of subcultural, like being a metalhead. Yeah, there's no, why would, I, I've never understood why anyone would make music that isn't exactly what they would most want to hear, which is why I don't understand boy bands or, you know, because you think, out of every boy band, how many of them actually really love pop music and how many of them just want to be kind of famous? Anyway, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Pop music in general. Cynical corporate music in general. So with comedy, I've always liked the weirdest stuff most, although I, I liked all sorts of comedy. There's a, I've got a Monty Python, not Monty Python, a comic relief joke book um, that... Uh, the the the, uh, the big red joke book, which they missed a trick because as Monty Python's big red book, they should have made it a different colour. Anyway, um, uh, so there's there's a load of there's a load of jokes that are just really ordinary, and then there's the second to last section says jokes that are dodgy, and then the last one is jokes jokes that should never be told. And the jokes that should never be told are the ones that only one in ten people will ever get. Uh, you know, and at school they would be the ones that I'd be armed with. So, like, jo- really annoying jokes, like a woman go, a woman with a banana in her ear gets onto a bus, and the bus driver says, "Excuse me, madam, did you know you've got a banana in your ear?" And she says, "I'm terribly sorry, I can't hear you. I've got a banana in my ear." Right? And, and when I was at school, if 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 someone liked that sort of comedy, they were generally my sort of person. Yes. Yes. Okay. And, so, it's, so go on, go on. And so, and so that's that's pretty much been my. Still, my, my goal is to be the sort of comic I would most like to, to see. And, and looking at my fans now, people who come to my solo shows, people who are big fans of what I do, it's, it's totally like looking at the sort of person I would have been if I'd never been a comic. That's interesting, because I, I, I wondered, listening to and watching your stuff, I wondered to what extent your alternativeness, mm. and in terms of your, your act, your appearance, your transvesticism... Yeah, yeah. 
all of that stuff, I wonder how much of it is in it. How much of it are you going towards something, and how much of it is you moving away from something? How, how much of it is you wanting, is you liking specifically metal, and yeah. how much of it is you liking being different to all the other people, all the normal people? Yeah, it's funny that because it's something I've done quite a lot of thinking about recently. I, I've done a lot of, I'm an, I'm an awful lot of things. I'm vegan. I'm a transvestite. I'm a metalhead. I'm my politics you are anarchist. You're ticking the shit out of those boxes. Yeah, yeah, aren't you? and. And none of it is an effort to be different for the sake of being different. It's none entire- of it at all. Literally none of it. It's entirely... I went vegan because I was just entirely convinced by the arguments I was hearing. I like metal because it just stirs my soul. I dress the way I do because it feels wrong and weird to not dress the way I do. I would far rather never get shit on the street for what I wear. I would far rather there were more people dressed weird in whatever way on the street so it took attention off me. It's just that I've... I've got a, the sort of personality where I care less what other people think. Um, and in terms, of, in terms of the way I, I present myself, like on stage, it's always been a bit of a battle. I didn't cross-dress on stage for years. I came out as a tranny when I was 19. I didn't start comedy till I was 22. Um, and I, and uh, I didn't cross-dress on stage for about three years because I, I knew it would be something I'd have to talk about, something I'd have to overcome. So it wasn't until I, I essentially sort of did my apprenticeship and built my tools to cope with it. And now, weirdly, when I do the rowdier the gig, the, the better I do when I'm cross-dressed. Because otherwise they look at me and think, he's weird and I can't put my finger on it. If I'm wearing skinny jeans and a bullet belt and eyeliner... It's, it's not enough for them to go, alternative-looking person, you know. But if I go on wearing a dress, they can immediately hang it on that, oh, he's a transvestite, and then I can address that, get it out of the way, and then do my jokes. OK. So does that mean that in certain circumstances when you wouldn't specially fancy dressing as a woman on that day for yeah. that gig, you end up dressing... No, I don't mean as a woman, but dressing yeah, in female yeah, yeah. clothes. You end, up, you end up dressing like that almost tactically. Yeah, yeah, Definitely. That's quite interesting. Does that does that mean that it's because that then then you are dressing according to other people's reactions rather than purely for yourself? Yeah, but that's but that's that's also part of getting the job done effectively. Okay. In the, in much the same way that an actor will go on stage wearing a certain thing, you know, I I. But that but you see that strikes me as weird because it, it, it seems that and you you said that you don't care what other people think. So do you not feel that you're kind of conforming because you're having to present a certain but, version but of not, your alternative? Not, not, not comparing, not, not caring about what people think is different from not caring whether or not I do well at a gig. No, absolutely, absolutely. And, and, I, and I will do what's necessary to... And to the degree, again, with that, that if I'm, if I'm bombing, I will change tack and do straighter stuff because I'm a professional stand-up comedian and my job is to make people laugh. And if I'm not getting them, I don't just put my head down and plough the furrow... Because you know, yeah. this I, I'm a I'm a I've always wanted to be the sort of comic that can go out and, and have any audience in stitches. Yeah, and you know, do you do you feel then? Do you ever think or, or yeah? Do you ever feel that you that your desire to be able to play any room or whatever yeah, you yeah. know to, to be able to get laughs from any audience does that clash with your respect for that audience because there, there must be <laughs> in certain certain rooms there must be you might play a room that is full of the sort of or contain some of the sort of people that would shout shit at you in oh, the street t- 100%. And, and there you are tap dancing away trying to make them laugh in order to to go i've achieved my goal of being but a comedian but there's also there's a wonderful feeling of getting those dudes on board with what i do 
And the, the best, the, be, the single best example of that ever was when I did, I did Baby Blue in Liverpool. It must have been five years ago. And it was a hostile crowd. A really, like, dressed up Liverpool Saturday night. Um, the bloke, the, the women dressed, like, way more like drag queens than I would ever look, you know. Like, proper shimmery, massive hair, loads of makeup, amazing shoes. The guys all in short sleeve shirts, jeans and smart shoes, all with shaved heads, walking in, looking at me with disdain as they walk in. And then I went up on stage and did my weird stand-up wearing a dress and just and won them over and then there was literally on this one occasion <laughs> a small queue after the show of scouse blokes wanting to go hey you, hey, you know we walked in we weren't sure but like they were so right fella you, you're funny and they were like and the satisfaction of of being able to be who i am and being able to be as odd as i am and have them go oh okay i get it no you're all right actually yeah is is a, is a cool thing to be able to do um and yeah, if I if I wasn't if I wasn't doing comedy, I I wouldn't have that, you know, the, the, that requirement to get them on board. Like with my band, if people don't like my band, I'm not going to do anything different about it to win them over. Mm. But with comedy, I will out of the jokes I've written, the which are all still my jokes, they're all still me. I haven't got any jokes, you know, I'll never do a joke I don't like. Um, so it's just a case of using that one rather than that one, and then getting them on board. And then usually when I've got them on board, I can go a bit weirder anyway. What, uh, what areas of comedy are there that you feel you want to have more of a grasp on? If there's, there's certain areas within which you go, yep, I've got that nailed, I'm expressing myself how I want to like that, what, other, what things do you wish you were better at doing? Politics. Um, I've, I've always felt that... Because my stand-up is generally really silly. Um, and, and my political views... My political views are quite extreme from as far as most people's sensibilities are concerned. Yeah, I am an anarchist. I do, <laughs> I do fundamentally believe that the state is one of the... You know, the state and concentrations of power, whether that's corporate or whatever, you know, are harmful. And, and that's, that stuff is so far outside of the normal debate that it's very hard to be funny about it. Like, to be properly funny about it, mm. without selling it out to any degree. And have you tried? Have you yeah, attempted yeah, yeah. to do that? Early on, but it was all, early on it was always just a kind of, you know, I'd talk at length about politics in detail, and then I'd undercut it with, you know, that's 50p, 50p please, mate, you know. Yeah. And, and it's a very sort of, you know, talking about dense subjects in comedy 101 thing. You know, Bill Bailey does it very, very well. Um, Russell Brand does it with, with a bit more flair, but... Beyond that, I don't know, it's, it's quite tricky because with, I think with, with genuinely making political points, what you essentially have to do is you have to show the audience an idea that they might not necessarily disagree with, and might not necessarily agree with, and then show them that they're actually wrong or that you are right while making them laugh. So, blah, 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 this is, this is why the Tories are crap. And uh, have you ever looked at it like this? Oh, yeah, and, th- and that will usually be what causes a laugh. But for me, I'm like, yeah, your guys are all having the wrong argument. It's not left versus right. It's power versus no power, you know. And the, the, you need about half an hour of explanation before you can even get a handle on what my politics are anyway. Noam Chomsky talks about this a lot. He doesn't do telly very much because telly works in sound bites. What he has to say isn't part of the dominant narrative. So, you know... He, will, he nearly always starts with the... Right, OK, but the argument we should be having isn't whether or not we should, we should bomb Iraq. It's, you know, the whole geopolitical situation around our, our, our ownership of, of stuff in the Middle East. You know, it's, it's, look at it from outside the box. So, 
So yeah, and I think anyone listening at home will now have a really clear idea of, why, <laughs> of, of how I don't make politics funny. And you know, I do a bit of it. I do like a little bit of stuff about veganism and a little bit of stuff about probably all my politics now will be gender stuff. Um, and basically, pretty much going on wearing a dress and going, "This is all right, isn't it?" And people go, "Actually, yeah, I suppose it is." Um, and that's that's a lot easier because the, the arguments are just really easy. You know, why can't men wear skirts? Oh, yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> Because it's, it's like homo- with homophobia. If you, if transphobia and homophobia, the more, if you shine a light on it, it just withers and dies. Almost no one who's homophobic is genuinely against people being gay. They are just shoring up the cultural norms and in order to gain status or, or, you know, whatever. Um, but if you actually say, but what is actually wrong with it? And they'll go, oh, well, you know, God says it's wrong. Okay. Well, if we <laughs> blow that argument out of the wall, what's still wrong with it? I, I just, I don't know. Mm. And they're just reinforcing cultural norms. So it's really, really easy to, to get people on board with cross-dressing. You just go, what's wrong with it? And they can't tell you. And then you go, see. But is, if you tell people what's wrong with the state, well, you know... Is, go, is there a mid-ground? Is there somewhere that... I mean, are you planning to move into those not, not really. areas? Be, no. Not really, because... I don't know. I'm currently watching Russell Brand doing it and getting annoyed at him. From what, from what perspective? Oh, just stop... Stop fucking telling people what to what what to do politically when you when you've spent your almost your entire career making shit pop culture and becoming a millionaire. It's like it's not your place. Don't sell a book for twenty quid telling people not to be capitalists. Yeah, it's just it's just it's if if he if he he just needs to get his his ego out the out the equation. You know, if I, if you found out he was he was giving millions to the Green Party on the quiet, you go, oh, nice one. You know, but going, look at me, everyone, I've got the solution. Everyone goes, what is it, Russell? He goes, I don't know, but this is wrong, isn't it? Well, yeah, obviously, we've been saying this for ages, but now you're, you're making yourself more famous as a result. It just, it's, he's putting his ego in front of it. It's really, it's really frustrating. I knew Russell early on, and we talked about politics. When he just got out of rehab, and he saw me talking about doing that rubbish material on anarchism, and he said, we shall be friends, and we used to have lunch. And then, he, and then I had a go at him for doing Big Brother's Big Mouth. Why, why are you doing a show like that? Big Brother is awful and it's part of the toxic culture that people have been spoon-fed. You know, and Andrew, I just need to be... Because he does... One of those people who uses your name a lot, Stuart. He, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. and, um, and he said, Andrew, I just need to be famous. I went, all right, OK. Bye then. <laughs> Off you go and marry Katy Perry. So was he off your sort of friend list then? No, did you, did absolutely you not. Absolutely not. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. He just got very famous and, and uh, I guess, very busy and went off on his own direction. But... Coming back to your your direction and what you want out of comedy, yeah. Um, do you because you are you've kind of nailed your your colours to the wall in terms of being alternative, yeah, yeah. And you've appeared on Stuart Lee's uh, Stuart Lee presents, yeah. And you're sort of recognised as this is you know this is your your you're apart from a lot of other comics, yeah, yeah. Would you do something that was more mass? Um, like if Live at the Apollo came to you and asked you to be on that, would you be on that? Absolutely. You do oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, no question. I, 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 and it, I do find it sometimes frustrating in my career that, that my, my big, pretty much my biggest aim is to be successful at doing comedy, you know, and being a, reli- being a really good comic and being a reliable comic. Um, and the alternative thing, although it's given me a lot of advantages... Because often, like, you know, when, I did, when I've done bits of telly, metalheads and goths and punks will go, oh, look, it's one of us. And, and you know, there's a little subcultural shortcut and, and they're, they're more likely to listen to what I have to say and probably more likely to become fans of mine as a result. The flip side of that is things like the... I mean, I was literally told I'm too, I was too weird to do McIntyre's Roadshow. OK. And it's, the frustration of that is, yeah, but I'm, 
what the, the single thing I'm best at in life is making rooms for the people laugh, and I'm quite reliable at it. And but it's uh, it's like a category thing. I know you're one of the alternative ones. You're you know you're more like I think they're thinking you're more like him. You're more like him. But actually, I think if you if you cut through what I look like and what I'm talking about, I'm still just doing jokes, mm. and I'm still just trying to find ways of being funny. Um, the other stuff is just that I happen to be a massive weirdo in most people's eyes. Um, and, you know, I'm just, I'm still wearing clothes that you buy, I buy from shops. You know Could what I mean? You, it's not, I'm not painting myself green and walking down the road naked. I'm just... Could you... Oh, I mean, which, which is most important to you? Kind of success as a comic or self-expression through comedy? Like, if they said to you, OK, you can come on the Apollo, but you've got to, uh, you've got to wear a suit so we can't see your tattoos. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. Oh, so you wouldn't make any concession to it? No. Well, there's no... Because I don't see any point. That would, that would be a Pyrrhic victory. That would just... That, would, that wouldn't be me being the comic I want to be. So, yeah, it's... I, do you know what? I would, I would be relatively content to poodle along at the level I'm at now um, and not have those big successes if it... You know, if... But I don't... If I it don't, meant that you could do it on your terms. Yeah, yeah, but I don't, I don't believe it works like that. I, I actually think that, ha- that long-term, having a commitment to your own... To your own vision... God, that's there we go. Sounding pretentious now. But having a commitment, to, but having a, genuinely having a commitment to your own vision. As long as you're realistic about the bottom line, is you got to make people laugh, which is I'm always very conscious of. Then I think actually, long term, it's a it's a better way of going about things. And I think is it, there's a thing, isn't it? Where, like it seems that the way the way the, the 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 telly end of things works is they they approach the people who are most interesting. Um, and and the people who do very well in Edinburgh are often the most interesting people, the most quite often the most alternative. Like you know Sam Wills, boy with the boy with tape on his face, is a really good example of this. Oh, you're a, what you did, brilliant. We've never seen this in, like anything like this. And then they tried to develop a show with him, and then kept going, yeah, no, that's too weird. We're never going to sell that. Well, why did you go and approach him? Why instead don't you go to the weekend clubs and find the everyman comics who are really good craftsmen and get them to make your fucking TV show? Because if what you want is something we can sell to the masses. There's tons of comics you should be putting on telly. But if you want someone who's got genuinely original and interesting ideas, don't take them and then, and then squeeze them through a different shaped Play-Doh mould. Like, yeah, We Are Clang, who live were one of the, one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my mm. life. Mm. Their TV show was rubbish. Really rubbish. And it, it was like they just knocked all the corners off it. And what I wish would happen more often is what happened with Vic Reeves' Big Night Out which is, what you do is really good, tell us what you want to do with it, and we'll make it, because that was really good. We'll give you six half hours, 11 o'clock on Channel 4, just do, just do that, and get the best people in the, in the industry to take that vision and put it on telly. Paul Foote should be given six half hours, and just, just do it, just even if it's just once, you know? But it always, there always seems to be this really weird circular route where you become more, you become better at being an interesting comic and then telly gets you and then they push you back towards doing something that's, that's acceptable by the mainstream. And comics wouldn't have gone on that journey. They would never have got the telly if they'd just wanted to be reliably funny. And, and I say just, there's, there's, you know, some of my favourite comics are people who aren't particularly interesting in terms of their style or content. They're just really, really good. Bob Mills is a proper down-the-line 90s alternative comic, and he's, he's the funniest person I've ever seen doing stand-up. And, you know, and then Brian Gittins, who's incredible, they can't find a, a vehicle for him, when instead all they should be doing is, right, let's make something. 
it's a really odd it's a really odd circular route and I, and I'm, I'm about, it feels like I'm about to embark on having those arguments myself Yes, I'm starting to develop because a now thing. you're developing stuff yourself, and you're feeling like you're going to need to fight for it. I've already, already had one one argument on that. On that, just kind of okay. Well, we we won't make it quite like that. Which you know, I'm, I think if you work with good people like Alison, who I'm doing my my radio thing with, I, I think what I expected from BBC Radio Four was well, we can't do that. The only thing I'm not allowed to do is swear. Really, everything else is up for grabs. The stylistic things I'm doing, she's going, oh yeah, cool, that'd be great. Mm. And she's also, written, you know, the feedback she's given me is spot on. Remember I, when I uh, remember when I worked with Coogan? Uh, <laughs> the, the, the 32 seconds I was on screen in Saxondale. In, in Saxondale. Just listening to him and um, and the director working through stuff and just going, these guys really know how comedy works. Yeah. Talking about having to trump a previous... You know, well, if you do that, the next joke you do has got to trump that one. And just talking about the mechanics on it on such a high level. And I just, just feel like... I don't know. Everyone says TV should be braver, though, don't they? Everyone says that. But just, I think it's because it's true. I think it's because comics work for years at working out how to be funny. And then people who don't make comedy tell them that they don't know how that would be funny. Yeah. And I think you probably get a lot of shit that way, but, every, you know, it's almost like every, everyone that's, that's got a really, really good show will be able to make at least an hour's worth of good comedy for the telly. Before we finish then, I just wanted to ask you about your strategy with stuff like releasing material online oh, yeah. with releasing stuff and putting entire shows up on youtube or on Bandcamp. if you put if you put something yeah you're selling shows how has that been what's that experience from a sort of technical point of view it's pretty good um because that's obviously something that you've got artistically complete control over yeah absolutely well like, it's, it's it's interesting because partly i've got i've now got sort of two shows in, in the can that I'm waiting to put up and, and I'm sort of like you, you watch The Cult Comedian to, to research this I'm sort of going oh yeah but that's so so old now mm. um, it's good and I like I really like having stuff up there you know because when I was when I was watching Eddie Izzard around my mate's house and telling people you have to watch this you know that's it's nice to be in a position where I have I now have people come out and going me and my mates watch alternative uh, regularly mm. and okay that's cool that's also a bit odd but it's nice but also what it, the other thing it does is it forces me to, to write more material um, and yeah sort of turn stuff over but there's also I think there's my music mentality of, of with Edinburgh shows I, w- I wish I'd done it with all of them from the start because I've done like 11 solo shows now um, with with a band, you've got albums, and even if they're a bit your early albums are a bit crap, they're out there, mm. and and it's um, it's like an artifact. Mm. And with comedy, it's so much more ephemeral. I mean, you know, if you could watch every We Are Clang Edinburgh show that was just record, even if it was just recording on a camcorder, it would be yeah. amazing. You know, Pappy's as well, Pappy's Fun Club, as they once were. Um, you know, that that would be. I think everyone should do that. Um, and so yeah, it's just it's just you know putting putting it up there, hoping people enjoy it. And it's interesting with a cult comedian. I, I did it in it's in seven chunks by coincidence. I know I downloaded all of them and ripped the audio from all of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, it's really annoying. And that was yeah <laughs> the um, the that. What's interesting is watching the 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 view account go down. I was no, I noticed that I was gonna. I mean, obviously, Very, some people are going to start watching it and not stick with it. A lot yeah. of people are going to start watching it and see. Can it you remember the how many are on the Something episode like one? Six thousand by the end. Yeah, but can you remember how many are at the beginning? I can't remember because it drops. It drops. I think most people, obviously, most people just watch a bit of the first one, 
and then quite a lot of people watch one and two, and then it drops quite sharp. But it's it's the it's the online attention span, yeah. and also alternatives. And it's still sit by the end. That's still six thousand people who saw your show compared to what an Edinburgh room of Absolutely. fifty people yeah, over yeah, yeah, twenty six yeah, totally. nights. Yeah. I think Alternative has had something like. 50,000 views now um, but I don't know how much because that's like an hour and three quarters long so there might have been 49,000 people watched the first 10 minutes yeah, yeah yeah but it's good and I you know I like getting stuff out that way um, the metal show which I'm currently doing I'm probably not going to record for a long time because I'm I'm, I want to be able to tour that indefinitely, really. Um, I've just done that with a live band, and it's, it was an incredible, yes. incredible oh experience. Listen, we, we must wrap up, because you've got to run to a gig, but just tell me about the metal show. Is that still touring at the so moment? The history of is still, still on tour. I wrote it uh, just with me, you know, me, a guitar, and a laptop. Um, and so I... It oh, literally, that's so... That's so it literally is, yeah, <laughs> it literally is a history of heavy metal. And I start at the beginning, and I go through to the present day. Um, and then... With jokes. With actual jokes, yeah. It's, um, it's probably the funniest thing I've written. And then uh, I said, well, I've, you know, I clearly have to do this with the band. So I got my mates who are in a, a death metal band called Reprisal. And, um, and they learnt, I taught them the songs. And, uh, and yeah, we did it at the hybrid garage in front of 340 people. And it was just superb. And so we're going to tour that show. Going to do it in all the metal festivals. With the band, with the band. yeah, 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 yeah. Do all the metal festivals. Going to do it at the garage again in, East, in the Easter. And it was cool because, again, it's like... I wrote that show with my mum in mind. Every joke I wrote, I thought, if my mum can... Under- I'm going to write this with a view to my mum understanding it. Because uh, people come up and go, I didn't even like metal and I like that show. And I'm slightly getting bored of going, yes, that's the point. But um, it is. It's a show for people It's a show for it's people sh- that don't like metal. And but it's a show also- to convert people's mums. Yeah, but if you, do like, if you do like metal, you will probably like it five times as much. Uh, and there's, I think there's, w- there's literally one joke in it that I then have to explain after the laugh has died. Because there's a joke about Dave Mustaine from uh, Megadeth. And, um, and th- but then what I do is I go, I don't want to leave anyone behind. But, you know. but I, I don't know, I guess... I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, probably an alternative comic who's got a sort of slightly mainstream sensibility. Because, you know, like Bill Bailey is really, really, his comedy is weird and he is weird and he's huge. And Eddie Izzard, mind you, I think I used to think Eddie Izzard was more alternative than he actually is. But when he came along, we were like, like no one does that. Monty Python is huge and Monty Python is incredibly difficult at its best. Not the shit they did in the live show, but, you know, and, and I, I, I used, I, I've done a lot of hitchhiking and I th- it, People would always go, oh, I'll tell you what I love, mate, like truck drivers. Tell you what I love, mate. Mon- oh, Monty Python. Oh, I love Monty. Yeah, got all their tapes, yeah. And um, Roy Chubby Brown as well, like him as well. <laughs> and they, like, about five different people went, oh, I love Python. I love. I think, I think, I think the accessibility of weird comedy is, is massively underrated. That's a perfect point to leave it. Thank you very much, Andrew. <laughs> Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for coming. So that was Andrew. Thanks very much to him for coming along. Thanks to Mark for having us at the Leamington Spa Comedy Festival. That's all for now. Uh, I will be back in the UK before you know it. And uh, do remember to come and see not only the live podcast with Brendan Burns at uh, 2.15pm at the Lightbox at Dave Lester Comedy Festival on Sunday the 22nd of February, but also later that same day, let's say 8 o'clock, it might be 7. If you're going to look into it, you'll find out what it is. Uh, I'm going to be doing my new work in progress show, provisionally entitled Stick to Your Guns. So come and see that. Uh, I have definitely got some jokes now and it's all going to be fine. Thanks a lot. I'll speak to you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.